Uh, if you're a guest here, a visitor, um, it's great to have you with us. Um, Simon is also a visitor. Um, <laughs> no, he's not. Um, maybe that was prophetic. But if you're a visitor here, it's great to have you with us. Uh, my name is Sarush. I'm one of the elders here at Jubilee. It's wonderful to have you. And as Simon said, please uh, do stay around afterwards if you're able to. It'd be great to have a cup of tea and coffee and get to know you a bit more. Um, just uh, in terms of the uh, notices when Simon mentioned health and safety, I was just thinking, how is Mavish going to translate that for our Iranian friends? But I don't know whether she'll find a word for it or not. Um, anyway, <laughs> but it's an important aspect of life, and we're grateful to God for it. So, brilliant. Uh, I'm going to be busy on that evening. <laughs> no, <that's... laughs> Great. If you've been coming along, um, you'll know that uh, we've been studying um, the Word of God, as usual, on a Sunday. But we've been uh, going through a series called In Christ. And every week we look at a particular uh, thing that the Bible says about who we are in Christ. And today, in Christ, I am alive. Amen. Uh, it's great to hear an amen to that because uh, sometimes we just take that for granted. But in Christ, I'm alive. Um, and I'll be using um, chapter 6 of uh, Romans uh, verses 8 to 11. So it's Romans 6, 8 to 11. If you've got a Bible, please turn to Romans 6, 8 to 11. If you haven't, the words will be projected on the screen. And I'm going to read through them. So, here we go. Romans 6, 8 to 11. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Amen. That is the word of God. And it's amazing to have the word available to us and to read it and to actually know that we are alive in Christ. But to know that we're alive, we need to know what we were prior to that, really. Um, to be alive, well, it's something to know that. But what were we before we come alive in Christ? The Bible says that we were dead. That's exciting, isn't it? Uh, the Bible says that we were dead in our transgressions before we actually come alive to, uh, in Christ. One of the major fears that many people have, but sometimes people feel desensitized to it as well. You don't often hear people talking about death, particularly in this culture, because it's just not one of those areas that you would go to, because it's either scary or people are desensitized to it, because it's, it's not my problem, it's somebody else's. And people suddenly realize the significance of death until it happens to a loved one. Uh, particularly with uh, the recent tragic events happening uh, in Manchester, people more and more realize that it's real. It can happen at any time, and to the loved ones and friends. Uh, just the same, uh, nowadays people don't even believe that we have an enemy. Nowadays people don't believe in Satan. I'm not saying that we need to believe in Satan as uh, we believe in Jesus, but the, the Satan uh, has a reality. It is real. Um, and as Joseph Murilla said uh, when he was here with us, it's not just for people in Africa. Um, it's real, and it's a reality out there. We live in a therapeutic culture where God is um, someone who actually does what you want him to do. Uh, but it's not about that. God is the creator of heaven and earth. He is sovereign. And we have been made to worship him, not to tell him what to do and what not to do or what we want. You've probably heard the famous phrase, I think, therefore I am. 
Um, I was thinking, how can I put that in terms of being alive in Christ? So I thought, uh, the best I could do was, I breathe, therefore I'm alive. But again, that's not quite biblical, because the life that the Bible talks about is not necessarily uh, signaled by breathing. And of course, breathing is an important part of it. But the fact that we breathe doesn't necessarily mean we're alive. The definition that Bible has differs a bit. Death is not pleasant, uh, but depending on your culture, you can either know the effects of it or be insensitive to it or desensitized. Now, you, you may think, well, I thought that the title for today was I'm Alive in Christ, and trust me, it is, but before we know what that means, we need to know what it means not to be alive in Christ. Um, now, again, talking about death, sometimes people try to make it a bit more pleasant or try to come up with other words for it to make it kind of acceptable. Um, I've been doing a bit of research to see what people do with words. And I came across uh, a few job names, so job titles that people have. And the companies have been trying to change the title of that particular job to make it more appealing to people to come and take over the job or apply for the job. So, one is Education Center Nourishment Consultant. That's the name for dinner lady. Five-a-day collection operative. Now, Andy knows what that is. It's fruit picker. <laughs> Media distribution officer. Another name for paperboy. And my favorite and personal favorite, food reflexologist. That's just another name for masseuse, isn't it? <laughs> now, we were in Sheffield uh, a few years ago uh, with Luke, and we were talking about the subject of death and what the Bible talks about it. And very helpfully, Ginny pointed to this, and she said, um, people try to come up with other words for somebody who's passed away or died to make it a bit more acceptable culturally and try to be politically correct so that they don't offend others. Um, and some of the things that they came up with, I knew, because I'd lived here for about a few years or so, but some of the things, um, it, it was just kind of new to me. So the most common ones are at rest, or the person is at peace or departed this life, or gone to meet the maker, gone to be with the Lord, if you want to be religious. Uh, and some of the other ones were, uh, were that the person has kicked the bucket, uh, <laughs> or pe the person's belly up, or pushing up daisies, you see? So we try to come up with words that tell us what has happened, but they don't quite describe or don't do justice to the, uh, to the event itself. Now, in Romans, up until this point, up until chapter 6 that we've just read, uh, Paul's talking about um, God's grace, which is very real, but he's painting a picture that is ideal. So, we receive the grace of God, we live in the grace of God, we give him glory, and that's it. Now, if you read the book of Romans up until this point and uh, base your theology on just that, you're going to have a very unbalanced view of grace. It's going to be very unbalanced. And in fact, throughout history, People have just had this, they've only read to this point, and just like with everything else in the Bible, be before it gets any better, it usually gets worse. So they stop there and then, and they think, well, I'm not going to go any further because um, I'm just afraid that it might get worse, so let me just carry on with this and base my theology on it. And some movements have been created that carry on still even today. Um, so up until this point, we know that formally we belong to Adam, the author of sin, and therefore death, and now we belong to Christ, the author of salvation and life. 
and this is why you shouldn't use technology, because it's stuck and it's not going to the next page, <laughs> which is fine. Mm. Paul is giving us a splendid vision of grace. But we know it's not that simple, don't we? Unless you've only read to this bit and you haven't gone any further than chapter 6 of Romans. I'm glad no hands up going up. Many people have gone straight over the years throughout history over the issue of grace, over the issue of whether we were dead before we come to Christ and whether we are alive now. And I could name some even movements, but um, for some of the theologically pointed minds in here, I think that would probably put me in trouble because afterwards you're going to ask me questions about them and I'm just going to give you a few phrases. So, Luke, I'm not going to give you a name. Uh, and at first glance, the logic seems to be on the sides of people uh, who think that, yeah, Paul's right. We receive grace and we carry on living with our lives and the more we sin, the more grace we receive from God and therefore we're glorifying God. Isn't that what the Bible says? So let me go and sin a bit more so that God has to give me a bit more grace and therefore he'll be glorified, won't he? And um, Paul is saying it actually doesn't work that way. The logic seems to be on their side up until this point, but uh, good for us, um, Paul carried on writing. Both the death and resurrection of Jesus were not just decisive events in history, but they're actually personal experiences for every single one of us, for those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's not just a historical event that we can prove that happened. Of course, it, it is that, and it has happened, and it is in the Bible, but it's for us a personal experience too, because the Bible says that we share in it as well. So it's not just going to be depressing right at the beginning talking about death. We're going to know what that means to be alive in God. Our former self, as the Bible says, was crucified in Christ so that we may be free in order so that we can live in Christ too. We must realize that now we share in Christ's death, we are dead to sin. But a popular misunderstanding about this, death to sin, is that when we die, our senses cease to, to work. So they stop working. So Paul use, is using an analogy about death, and he says you're dead to sin, and people think, okay, if you're dead to something, then you actually have no senses uh, to the outside factors, to external factors. You can't respond to it. And therefore, I can't respond to sin, so I can live in any ways I want, because I'm dead to sin. That's not quite how it is, I'm afraid. Again, I'm the bearer of bad news for you uh, this morning. Based on this, they argue, because Paul says that you're dead, and a dead person is not able to respond to anything, therefore, I'm unable to respond to sin. That's the problem with analogies. We were in Sheffield with um, uh, Luke, Gavin, Matthew, and Mavash, um, and we studied the uh, Gospel of Matthew over the past uh, two days, um, sorry, on Thursday and Friday, and uh, it was just wonderful, but also we came across lots of analogies. And one of the helpful things that we learned was also that with analogies, you don't have to find a point, a theological point, to go with it. So, Jesus said you've got to be like little children. Now, what he meant was you've got to have faith like little children. He didn't necessarily mean that you've got to be selfish like them because they are sometimes selfish, aren't they? You don't have to be nagging your parents all the time because they do nag sometimes, don't they? And quite a lot of other things that are characteristics of little children. 
So Jesus didn't necessarily mean that we have to identify with all of them, but the main point that he was talking about. And again, with being dead to sin, what Paul is saying is, reckon yourself dead to sin so that it doesn't have an influence over you and your lives. You're not slave to it anymore because you've been bought with a price. You've been bought with a price that Jesus paid, and therefore, you can't respond to it anymore. You are dead. But it doesn't stop there. It carries on to tell us that we've been resurrected with Jesus. Victory is ours when we stop believing the lies of the enemy. Victory is ours when we start believing that when we share with Christ's death, we also share with his resurrection. And it's one of the greatest things in the baptisms. That's what I love about it, because it's symbolized in that. And it's just amazing to see how we can publicly, particularly in this nation at this time, declare what has taken place maybe days, weeks, or even months and years prior to that. As Christians, we have a great privilege that other people don't have, and that's attending our own funeral. Yeah, that might sound a bit uh, illogical, but we do attend our own funeral. The moment you believe in Christ, you're leaving your old self behind, and you're dead, and therefore you're attending your own funeral. But the difference is that the culture I come from Funerals are really sad. Funerals are really, really sad. People mourn for days and sometimes weeks and months. And it's just so different uh, from the funerals that I've uh, attended here. But I attended the funeral of a good friend, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, and Shelley was there as well. Uh, so Mavish and I were talking to Shelley, and Shelley came to us and said, look, in my funeral, get all the flags out. Put some worship songs on. Come dancing in the middle of the aisle lift up your voices because you know where I've gone to you know where I've gone to so don't don't let it be sad just yeah put up some music dance bring some flags shout out the name of Jesus and I thought yeah that's the attitude that that's wonderful and yeah I know that obviously uh, loved ones uh, departing um, is really difficult but as Christians we know where we're going and therefore it's not as sad however the moment you believe in Jesus you've already attended your own funeral in a spiritual sense so that's the privilege that we have, knowing that we've risen with Christ. Isn't that amazing to be able to have that? As we receive the new life, we leave the old one behind. Now, my experience um, in, in that is, obviously, having lived in Christ, and the moment I came to Christ, I left the old self behind. And to me, that was amazing because the resurrection of Jesus was the turning point for me as I was going through the Gospels and I was reading through them because I'd never heard anyone having that claim and I never knew of anyone who actually rose from the dead and didn't die again. So that was the turning point for me. Now, for some of us in here, you may be struggling with that. As Gavin brought the word, you may be struggling and you may be on, on the outskirts thinking, is this true or is this not? Or did it really happen or, it, or did it not? Um, what I want to encourage you to do is to ask him. Because if we claim that he's alive, then therefore he's able to speak to you. However, there's quite a lot of things that we bring with us, a baggage that we still try to carry with us from our funeral. So we don't leave it all behind there. We don't leave it there at the foot of the cross and come living with Christ. Um, I've got lots and lots of examples. But God works through that. Um, I remember many times people who had become Christians and were still living lifestyles that were not glorifying God, 
uh, were claiming that, oh, this, is, this has just become my nature. This is just the environment I grew up in. This is just the sort of things that, that I saw and um, I couldn't just resist. This is the sort of things that have been implanted in me. I'm a victim of my environment. I'm a victim of my heritage. This is what my parents did. This is what my father has passed on to me. And I know it's against the values of God, and I know it's not the will of God for me, and I know it's not something that God has for me. But this is what the, the sort of heritage I've received. Now, I could very clearly say that. I could, I could claim that I've got lots and lots of heritage that is not from God that has been passed on to me. I could claim that I'm the victim of uh, environment, uh, the environment I grew up in, the environment I was born in. Uh, but yet, God's power is greater than that. One of the examples is, as I grew up, uh, I, um, many of you know Jossam, he's not around now, he's probably going to get the barbecue sorted. Uh, no. <laughs> um, uh, Jossam and I were, uh, born, we were born in cities very close by. Now, we've got uh, a couple of different ethnic groups in there, and one of the major ones are Arabs. From a young age, we were always encouraged to mock Arabs. We were always encouraged to mock them so that they don't speak their own uh, their mother language. We were always encouraged to make jokes about them. We were encouraged to look at them as they speak Arabic so that they actually know that this isn't acceptable around here. And as I grew up, I was always encouraged to do that. People around me did it. Until I came to Christ and I realized this isn't the will of God. This isn't how someone who lives with God and in God should behave. So I started to, act, to seek God about it, really. And as I came here, it was one of the first moments that I saw many people from Iran who were from different ethnic groups. I, I hadn't had the opportunity to see them back home. So Justin was around here, and again, he was one of the victims. Because he had been mocked when he was a child, because of his ethnicity, because of his language, he even changed his name because as soon as you mentioned Jassan, people would, knew, would know that he belongs to this particular ethnicity. So he came here, and I thought, well, your name in your ID card doesn't match. And he said, yes, it's because of this. He hadn't believed that in Christ he could be who God has made him to be. In Christ he could worship God in his mother language. In Christ he could actually be known with the name that his parents had given him, that is nothing against the Bible. His name and the meaning that he has. And both Jassim and I could claim that we are victims of the environment. I'm a victim because I was taught and I was given a heritage of mocking others. And Jassim is a victim because he was mocked and he was the real victim. But in God and in the church of Jesus Christ, we are able to worship together. Now, you may think people from different nations may be enemies at some point, or particularly neighboring countries, yet, Justin and I are both from the same nation. We both grew up in the same environment, yet we could have been enemies. And it's wonderful that in God we are able to worship God together, that in God we are able to go before Him and say, you've made us, we bought a life in Christ, our old past, yes, we have a dark past, but hey, here we are, slate clean. Here we are before the King of Kings, knowing that we can worship him in our mother tongue. And that's just amazing. Sometimes we say, look around the room and see how many cultures and people are around. In fact, I want some of the people out here in, from these cultures. Fana, can I ask you to come forward, please? Wasn't it wonderful to hear Tigrinia uh, being sung this morning? Amazing. Paul, we can't have nations and not have Paul around. <laughs> Bill and Val, could you come forward, please? Paul Winston, would you, would you mind coming, please? 
Where's Dennis, the South African representative? <laughs> could we also have Esther as well, please? I know she's, a, she's not a visitor, really. Baz Mohammed, please, could you come forward? If you're from a nation that's not represented in there, could you come forward, please? If you're from a particular nation that... Bella, I know that, even if you don't put your hand up. <laughs> yeah, Chris. Gavin and Haley, why don't you join us in the front as well, please? Oh, sorry. We need different generations. <laughs> take a look at this. Look, just take a look around. These are people from one kingdom. Jesus Christ has made these people into one new man in Christ. These are all believers in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Which means that at some point they attended their own funeral in their lives and now they've been made alive in Christ. And who else can do this in this world? Who else can actually do this? Who else can bring people from different backgrounds and nations together and make them into one? And not only that, make them into brothers and sisters. Because we can't tolerate each other. We can't live to our next door neighbor who is from a different culture and different background and still try and tolerate them but not fully accept them. I have experienced racism even in this country, uh, whether verbally or through other forms. I've prayed God's blessing on them. But hey, in the church of Jesus, in here, it's different. The moment I came in, I was called a brother. And you know what? This isn't just it. What you see goes to the nations. You've heard from different nations that are being impacted through Jubilee. But let me tell, give you another example. When we, were, when we were in Sheffield on Friday, the guys had to come back separately because we had to stay back. And that's because a group from South Korea, a Christian group from South Korea, wanted to speak to Mabush and I about our work with refugees and asylum seekers and how we accept people from different nations into the church. They interviewed us for about an hour they were so amazed to hear the number of different languages being represented in this church of 200. And they come from a church of 10,000. And that's just amazing that we are having an impact in South Korea. We are having an impact in Eritrea and Ethiopia. We are having an impact in Turkey. And guess what? We are having an impact on Teesside. Isn't that amazing? Again, just last week, I was in Derby. A lady came to me afterwards because they welcomed us at church. There were around 600 people there. One particular old lady came to me and said, do you come from Middlesbrough? Is this you? I said, yes, it's me. Uh, I was going to put up a a borough accent, but I thought it's not going to (laughs) work. And then she said, I was born in South Bank. I grew up in South Bank. And I haven't been able to go back for many, many years. In fact, she hadn't been back because I knew that she knew, when we were talking about Newport Roundabout, she thought of it as a very small roundabout. And she was still thinking of the bus station as it being in the town center without a particular structure. So you can tell that she hadn't really come back here. When I was telling her of the sort of things that we were doing here, when I was telling her that we have people who have a heart for South Bank, who go there, put up teas and coffees for people as they come by, offer them hospitality and a chance to hear the gospel. When I told her about the work with refugees and asylum seekers, she, was, she burst into tears because this is her hometown and she never thought that something like this would happen in this place. If you'd asked somebody 20 years ago, where would this take place? They would have given you the name of the most cosmopolitan cities in the world. 
probably London, Birmingham, Manchester, they would have never thought of Teesside as here. But through the work of Jesus, this has happened. And the focus is not just on the nations, it's on the neighbors too. So if we are made alive in Christ, this is a small representation of it. And we've been made alive not only for our own good, but so that we can go out and glorify God. And that's why I brought this as well. Can I ask the band to come up, please? Just a prophetic thing. <laughs> as we worship together, let's pass this around and let's pray for the nations represented in here. Because there are quite a lot of nations in there that we don't have in this church for various reasons. We can't possibly have people from all around the world. Uh, well, I'd be surprised. <laughs> I know that I've just contradicted myself. In five years' time, we'd probably be representing more countries than ever. But this is a prophetic representation. Let's stand up together, can we? You guys are standing here. <laughs> I'm going to pass the ball around as we worship. And I want to encourage you, as you pass it around, pray for the particular country. But prior to that, start praying for this nation in particular and for Teesside, even if you're not from around here. Because God has gathered us together here for a reason. It's not for no reason that we're in Teesside. He is sovereign over everything, and that's, that includes our geographical location. And for those of you who are not alive in Christ, this is an opportunity for you to come alive in Him. This is an opportunity for you to celebrate your funeral. This is an opportunity for you to live at the, everything at the foot of the cross and accept Him as your Lord and Savior. And you know what? He would welcome you. We want you very much to be part of this family. And that comes through faith, through your faith in Jesus Christ. We've probably got so many differences with these people. But one thing that we have is the greatest, and that's Jesus Christ. That is the most common ground. So let's worship. For you guys, can I just encourage you to go around and people, uh, pray for people, particularly those that are not from your nation. So that means if you were born in this country, go and pray for somebody.